0: Tegan, new business idea. Oh, let's hear it, Chris. It's a video series. You ready for it?
1: Okay, let's go.
0: Congress people gone wild. (laughs) Okay, we're going to start with Clay Higgins, pushing around some protesters. We're going to go to Jamal Bowman and Marjorie Taylor Greene, just kind of shouting out. On the Capitol
1: steps there. On
0: on Capitol steps. I remember there was a gone wild series. It it was several years ago. I think that you were a big fan of that series. And I'm thinking we update it clean it up a little bit is this is a different genre congress people gone wild you in,
1: chris let's just stick to the podcast okay
0: we'll stick to the podcast and to the mailbag so quick reminder for listeners if you want to send questions for the mailbag here's how you can contact tegan via political wire you can email me any questions by simply replying to any day's newsletter now let's get on with business and we had some elections this week tegan And as you titled in Political Wire, Republicans Keep Having Bad Elections. Axios reported in the 11 months since the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade, Republicans have underperformed in federal, judicial, statewide, and local elections across the country. The piece went on, and then we can get into some of the specific races. Republicans can't shake their post-Roe election slump. In the 11 months since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, Republicans have underperformed in federal, judicial, statewide, and local elections across the country. Abortion isn't the only factor driving their election woes, especially in local races. But a toxic party brand can easily trickle down ballot, and the GOP so far hasn't been able to navigate the voter backlash that began with the New York special election last August. So we'll get into some of the specific races, Florida, Colorado, Pennsylvania. But first, why do Republicans keep having bad elections?
1: Well, according to this article, it all is happening since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and there's obviously some interesting data points behind that. What's surprising, though, is how big this swing has been towards Democrats over this last 11 months. In state legislative races, Aaron Blake at The Washington Post took the data for eight state legislative races this year and found that Democrats have overperformed by an average of six points from the 2020 presidential results, which, of course, that was a pretty good year for Democrats. They've also beat in the 2016 margins, which wasn't such a good year for Democrats, by an average of 10 points. So this swing is pretty substantial across the board. We saw it again on Tuesday night with some of the races that took place just this week.
0: So let's go through a couple of those. In Florida, I personally found this one the most interesting. Maybe you found one of the other ones more interesting. But in Jacksonville, they elected their second Democratic mayor in 30 years with Donna Deegan upsetting Daniel Davis, a Republican endorsed by Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida's largest city. This also is really telling, potentially. It was the first major election in Florida since DeSantis signed a six-week abortion ban, which a March poll found 75% of Florida residents oppose in a private ceremony close to midnight last month. So that's from that same Axios piece. So that's what happened in Jacksonville. In Colorado Springs, Colorado, one of the most conservative cities in America, independent businessman Yemi Mobilade was elected the first non-Republican mayor since 1979, a quote, political earthquake in a conservative stronghold, according to local media. In Pennsylvania, Democrats held on to their one seat state house majority by winning a special election in the Philadelphia suburbs, allowing them to block a GOP backed referendum on limiting abortion rights. There also was a Democratic primary election for the Philadelphia mayor, but Jacksonville, Colorado Springs, and Pennsylvania. What did you make of each of those?
1: They're all big deals. I mean, obviously, each one taken individually, there might have been local factors that played into this. And so you can't really say that Ron DeSantis signing a six-week abortion ban led to the flipping of this mayor's race in Jacksonville. But... DeSantis did win Jacksonville by 14 points when he was reelected back in 2022. And Donna Deegan, the Democrat, defeated her Republican challenger by four points. So you saw an 18-point swing just from last November. And the reason it's a big deal is that up until this week, Jacksonville had been the largest city in the country that had a Republican mayor. So that's a pretty big deal. And that's a pretty big shot to Ron DeSantis right there. And it may be indicative of what's going on in Florida. Again, it's one race, it's a local race, there may be other issues. But when you look at what the Florida state legislature has done in the laws that they have passed and the laws that have been signed into law by Ron DeSantis, the state of Florida is pushing far right, farther right than most other states, because DeSantis is running for president and he believes in order to win the Republican nomination, he needs to run as far to Donald Trump's right as he can in order to win that race. But maybe there's some reverberations to that.
0: That balance of how far to the right he has to go to position himself for that presidential race versus what really is palatable within Florida, I think is fascinating. So two points that you just made. One is, yes, as of this conversation, you had just posted on Political Wire, the Wall Street Journal piece stating that DeSantis is going to announce for president next week. Let's hold on that for a second because I want to talk a little bit more about DeSantis and the president's race. The extremes to which DeSantis is feeling, it seems, he has to position himself on the right for that presidential race versus what it could mean within Florida. Because as you know, DeSantis this week, and you were just referring to this, this was the other point that you were making, he attacked the LGBTQ community this week with his slate of hate laws. Axios reported that DeSantis signed four bills, this was on Wednesday, into law that touched several aspects of daily life for some LGBTQ plus community members, from limiting the use of preferred pronouns in public schools to criminalizing the use of bathrooms that don't align with the person's sex at birth. DeSantis is doubling down upon his administration's previous efforts to prohibit gender-affirming health care for minors and restrict classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. Every place that he can, it seems, he's creating new rules, new laws, new legislation, signing bills in these social areas. The strategy, I believe, it seems, is what you said. He needs to position himself, feels he needs to position himself, to the right of Trump. He's doing similar things on abortion and the six-week ban in Florida. At the same time, one of my questions is, to what extent will the people of Florida continue to support
1: that type of activity. And maybe Jacksonville is a sign that they've kind of had enough. It's a really good observation, Chris. And you know, just think about it, four and a half years ago, when Ron DeSantis was first elected governor, Florida was considered a swing state. He barely won that governor's race against Andrew Gillum. And while he did win reelection by a dominating margin, he ran against a warmed over candidate, Charlie Crist, who was a former Republican, who became an independent, who then became a Democrat. And really wasn't very exciting. It's hard to imagine that in just four and a half years that Florida has gone from swing state where both parties are pretty equal in the state to all of a sudden one of the most right-wing states in the country. It just defies common sense.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe they have gone to the right. Maybe Florida is no longer a swing state. Maybe it is a red state. But you're right. The laws that are being passed, the direction that DeSantis is pushing the state into is not just a red state, not just a Republican state, but as you just said, one of the most conservative states in the country. I mean, they're beyond Texas in a lot of areas. It's funny, narratives get created. So DeSantis did. He crushed in that last election. And so the narrative off of that was, get behind DeSantis, he knows the direction, he knows what Florida wants. Florida's where woke goes to die, he's really onto something, and Floridians are really behind him. But you can't necessarily determine, maybe you could try to, maybe there's been some data or some analysis to try to figure it out. But how much of that, to your point, was, yes, he's putting forward, I guess, policies that Floridians support, obviously, they must. But at the same time, he had pretty weak competition. Maybe if Florida Democrats put up someone with some strength, it's not quite the thumping that it was. And all of a sudden, the narrative doesn't become so extreme, and maybe Florida doesn't become so extreme.
1: Yeah, that may be the case. And you know, back in 2018, when DeSantis won, he won against Andrew Gillum, who subsequent to the election has found himself in all sorts of personal scandal and a legal mess that he's still trying to unwind to this day. So perhaps Andrew Gillum was not the best candidate the Democrats could have put up. In Jacksonville, Donna Deegan was a very attractive candidate. She was a television personality. She was known in the city. But nonetheless, the fact that she was able to win in a city that most people thought would stay Republican, it's a pretty big deal. And and so as you said at the outset, Chris this is just one race, but there were other races across the country that suggested that the momentum, to use an overused term, might be with the Democrats right now, at least as we sit in May of 2023.
0: So explain the significance of the Colorado Springs race. That's where the independent businessman was elected the first non-Republican mayor since 1979. It was called a political earthquake. Why was it a political earthquake?
1: Well, because it's a very conservative city, and you know so much so that this gentleman who won was not even willing to ally himself as a Democrat. And so the Democrats didn't feel the candidate and he ran as an unaffiliated independent candidate. The analysis in that race suggests that the Republican Party and the Republican Party's brand has been hurt so much in Colorado. And the issue there seems to be guns, seems to be a big problem with Republicans wanting to ease gun restrictions as much as they can. The Republican brand is hurting in a place like Colorado Springs, and that's pretty striking. Everywhere you kind of look and you look at those 18 races that Aaron Blake analyzed the legislative races since uh, the beginning of the year, these special elections. Everywhere you look, the Democrats have overperformed what they otherwise did in the previous election year. So we'll see how it all works out. And these are obviously local races and we're talking about not a lot of voters. So we don't want to make huge predictions based on that. But these are good signs for Democrats and they've got to worry Republicans.
0: And DeSantis did not have a bad day only in Jacksonville. He had a bad day in Kentucky as well, didn't he?
1: inexplicably, DeSantis gave a last, you know, 11th hour endorsement of former UN Ambassador Kelly Craft, you know, who's running for the gubernatorial nomination against Daniel Cameron, who of course was endorsed by Donald Trump. And it's weird because the polls suggested that Craft was running well behind Cameron, and yet DeSantis, an out-of-state governor, thought he could come into Kentucky, make an endorsement and sway that race doesn't make much sense. It's at best really bad politics. But of course, you know Trump had a field day going on Truth Social, pointing out that his candidate won. And Daniel Cameron, in his victory speech that night, really took a swipe at DeSantis and said, let me say the Trump culture of winning is alive and well in Kentucky. And he did that because, of course, DeSantis hit Trump over last weekend talking about the culture of losing in the Republican Party that was fostered by Donald Trump. And that was a really, really dumb mistake by DeSantis to get into a race that it seemed his candidate was never going to win.
0: So you've raised a couple of issues. One is the quality of the candidates or lack of quality of candidates. And we certainly have learned and Republicans learned and Trump learned the lesson that I guess Mitch McConnell knew previously quality of candidates really matters. But at the same time, it's these pushing of some of these issues. Here, I'm thinking about abortion. I'm thinking about guns. I'm thinking about LGBTQ. And to what extent are Republicans boxing themselves in? And I'd like to turn even more to abortion where they seem to be going deeper and deeper. I mean, this was a really significant week in terms of legislation around abortion. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported North Carolina's Republican-dominated legislature upheld a bill to ban most abortions after 12 weeks, overriding the Democratic governor's recent veto of the new restrictions. The vote, taken in both chambers and back-to-back sessions, means a dramatic change for abortion access in North Carolina, where abortion is currently legal up to 20 weeks. The vote also restricts access for women across the South. Who have traveled to North Carolina for abortions from states where the procedure was banned. Also, on Tuesday, in Nebraska, where lawmakers in April narrowly voted down a ban on most abortions after six weeks, the unicameral legislature was set to debate a bill restricting gender affirming care for minors that was amended to also prohibit abortions for pregnancies beyond 12 weeks. That was from Reuters. On Thursday, South Carolina House members approved a controversial bill late Wednesday night that would ban most abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy after having spent the last two days in contentious debate on the legislation. And then finally, on Wednesday, there was a report in the Washington Post, an appeals court appears likely to restrict access to key abortion pill. A panel of judges peppered lawyers for the government and the drug manufacturer about the FDA's regulation of one of two drugs used in more than half of US abortions. So North Carolina, Nebraska, South Carolina, appeals court, abortion seems to be getting more and more restrictive. Are Republicans just continuing to box themselves in?
1: It's not only that, but you've got the two leading nominees for president on the Republican side, Ron DeSantis, who signed one of those six-week abortion bans, and Donald Trump, who is now, not only did he at the CNN town hall take credit for repealing Roe v. Wade, but he did it again this week saying that he takes credit for all of these state laws that are being passed passed to ban abortion, in many cases without exception, from six weeks. So it's a big deal, so much so that Nancy Mace, the Republican Congresswoman from South Carolina, told CNN the other night that she thinks that the Republican Party is going to suffer for these in the polls. And so if you believe what we've seen in the 11 months since the Supreme Court's decision, and you look at all of the electoral results since then, it looks like Nancy Mace is right. The more Republicans run to the right on this and get more extreme, it's really only going to force Democrats to get out and vote. So I think it's a terrible issue for Republicans.
0: And what do you see
1: between DeSantis
0: and Trump on this issue? Are they both trying to move further to the right of each other on it?
1: Yes, that's the entire ballgame here. And not only that, but you've got Mike Pence doing the same thing. You know, Mike Pence is probably gonna get into this race as well sometime by the end of June. And he is seen as the epitome of the pro-life candidate on the Republican side, but they're all trying to run even further to the right. And that's because of the way that our primary system works. The most committed voters on each party tend to vote. And so Trump and DeSantis seem to have made a calculation that unless you are the most restrictive on abortion rights, you don't have a chance to win the Republican nomination. And so they're doing everything they can to appeal to those true believers.
0: And it doesn't necessarily seem to be working so well so far for DeSantis. You saw that new morning consult poll this week that found Donald Trump crushing DeSantis among Republican voters nationally, 61 to 18 percent. As we mentioned earlier, just in this conversation, Wall Street Journal has put out a report that DeSantis is going to announce his candidacy for president next week. We know he has a donor meeting set for May 25th. Will that change anything when he officially, officially announces, assuming that it does happen next week? Does that change anything on the Republican side?
1: I think the only thing it really changes, we've all known that DeSantis is going to be a candidate. I think the thing that it changes, though, is that there are also reports that DeSantis is going to try to, quote, outwork Donald Trump in Iowa the reports suggest that DeSantis is going to visit all 99 counties in Iowa and that he's going to spend a lot of time campaigning in Iowa. And so the bet that his campaign is making is that he needs to win Iowa. And if he can somehow win Iowa, then he would have momentum going into New Hampshire and the other early states. But it seems like this entire campaign, Republican campaign, will be focused on what's going on in Iowa. The overarching thing, though, is it seems like the stronger Trump grows, the weaker the Republican Party becomes nationally. Trump has this really weird effect on this party right now. And it's the situation when we see indictments, when we see judgments against him, like the sexual abuse case in New York, that only seems to make Trump stronger in these national polls. And so the national poll that you cited of him just crushing DeSantis, it's leading DeSantis to realize that there's no way that he's going to beat Trump in a national poll. He needs to focus on these individual states, which is where delegates are won. Of course, that leads us also to the situation that Donald Trump was president of the United States for four years and controlled the Republican Party, and he's made it actually easier for him to win that Republican nomination by the way delegates are awarded. So DeSantis has an uphill fight here at best.
0: It actually feels somewhat desperate on DeSantis's part, kind of a sense that he recognizes how far behind he is everywhere, how far behind he is in this national polling. And I don't know the best example of which strategy it was, win Iowa and use that going forward and have that be the best example. But it's almost like he's saying, I better win Iowa. I need to get something on the board. I'm getting killed here by Trump. Is it overstating
1: things to say it's Iowa or bust for DeSantis? No, not at all. I think he's placing all his bets on Iowa at this point. And while it doesn't seem like the strongest strategy, what you can say is it's stronger than the strategy Rudy Giuliani used back in 2016, which was skip the early states entirely and compete in the later states because you're already throwing in the towel on those early states, at least to say it this thinks he's still viable in Iowa. I think that any of us can
0: find great success simply by avoiding previous Rudy Giuliani strategies, don't you? (laughs) Right, Chris. (laughs) You know the other lesson I've taken from watching Giuliani over the years? What's that, Chris? It's good to know when to leave the stage. Talk to you (laughs) later, Tegan.
1: Talk later, Chris. Bye. Bye.